But as we wrap up today, I just want to talk to you about something that's really bugging me about this text. Because there's something that has really been like weighing heavy on me that's caused me to think. There's, there's a troubling question that kind of keeps popping up in my mind as I read it. And the question is this. What's the difference between you and that demon? And I'm not saying that to be silly, but it's a question that, that has been weighing heavily on me. Because, because here the, here's this demon. He has this encounter with, with the king of kings and his reaction is to fear Christ. He recognizes that there is a coming judgment, right? And he's going to pay dearly for the rebellion that he has against God. And he is doomed and he is desperate and he is helpless, just like all of us. We're helpless and desperate. And if we die in our sins, we're going to face the judgment of God, just like this demon will. So what's the difference between us and him? And again, I'm not trying to be cute here. Because I do know that there is a difference. I understand that there is a difference. But I, but I think the way that many people approach the gospel and the way that many people actually approach Christ, claiming to be Christians, really are no better off than this demon. I mean, think about this. This demon knows who Jesus is. He knew Jesus. And, and this is important because, because so many people equivocate salvation with knowing Jesus. Like, like that's, that's what it takes to be saved, is you need to know Jesus Christ. But understand, just knowing Jesus isn't the answer. Right? The demon knows Jesus, and he knew him very well, and he was still doomed. And notice, notice this demon also had a high biblical view of Christ. This demon had a really high theology of Jesus. Right? I mean, he recognizes that Jesus is he's divine. Right? He knows that, that he's dealing with God in the flesh. He acknowledges the incarnation. He knows that Jesus is coming to, the, to, uh, to bring final things final, that there's going to be a judgment to come, right? And there's literally going to be hell to pay for those in rebellion. And he acknowledges Jesus' power. He knows that Jesus is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. This demon has a really high theological view of Christ. But simply having the right theology isn't what saves you. Knowing all the right answers to the questions is not what saves you. Now, don't misunderstand me. Theology is important, and you cannot be saved by a Jesus you don't know. What you believe about Jesus is absolutely critical to your salvation. What you believe about the gospel is crucial, but that is not what saves you. Being able to recite out of a systematic theology book is not going to get it done. As James says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. This is important because many people believe that you're saved because you, you, you have the right knowledge about God, that you believe the right things about, about Christ. But salvation is more than that. Believing in the Trinity and the incarnation and the divinity of Christ are important for you to know, but that's not the thing that saves you. You must believe those things to be saved, but that's not the mechanism to be saved because the demon believed these things and was not saved. And notice, not only did the demon know Jesus and have a high theology of Jesus, but the demon also submitted to Christ's authority. He obeyed the command of God. Jesus said, shut up and get out, and that's exactly what he did. Even the demons have to obey him. But some Christians think that obedience is the key to salvation, that you need to do the right stuff. You need to keep the right set of rules. You need to keep doing the right kind of activities. But what we see here is the demons did exactly that and still are damned. They have no choice but to obey Christ. Obedience to the command of Jesus is, is, is important, but it's not what saves you. Now, all of this 
should really cause you to stop and reflect about the implications of this. Because, because if knowing Jesus isn't enough and, and having the right theology isn't enough and submitting to his authority isn't enough, then what's the difference between you and him? What's the difference between you and that demon? What's the difference between me and that demon? This is an important question. I mean, I mean, he knew Jesus, had the right theology of Jesus, and he obeys his commands. So why are you saved and that demon not? The difference, brothers and sisters in Christ, is what Jesus calls us to when he preaches the gospel. He calls us to repent and believe the gospel. Repentance and faith is the difference. You see, the demon, the demon won't repent of his sin. He won't repent of his rebellion against God. Even facing the prospect of his own destruction, he won't repent. He can't repent. Just like many non-believers around us, people who, who curse God right now in their hearts, they acknowledge, they know that he's real. They know. The Bible makes it really, really clear that there's not a real atheist in the world. There's not. Everybody knows there's a God somewhere, but they just refuse to repent. They love their sin more than they love God. The difference between this demon who is damned and those who receive eternal life are those who follow Christ's call to repent of their sin and believe the gospel. That's the difference. And so what this tells us is that if you, if, if you know Jesus and you believe the right things about Jesus and you're really good about being obedient to that list of rules that somebody gave you, but you don't really repent of your sin and you don't repent of your self-righteousness and you don't repent of, of your rebellion against God, if you don't take all of your hope off of yourself and throw all that hope on Jesus alone, you're not saved. You must repent and believe the gospel. But again, the problem is that nobody wants to talk about repentance anymore. So many, so few people want to talk about the real gospel. And so what's happened is, is the church over the last 50 years has, has grown up with a false understanding of what it means to be saved. I mean, there are many people right now will tell you that the reason why they're saved is because they prayed a prayer. That there's a formula prayer that somebody led them through and that now they're saved. You say, well, why are you saved? Well, because I said the sinner's prayer. There's not a formula prayer that saves anyone. Should we pray to receive Christ? Absolutely. Should we, receive, should we pray to receive his forgiveness? Absolutely. But there is no sinner's prayer that saves anyone. But there are lots of people who say, I'm saved because when I was in VBS or when I was in kindergarten or when I was, you know, in high school or, or just last week, I prayed some prayer. Just because you prayed a prayer doesn't mean that you're saved. Another teaching in the church that misses the mark completely is this teaching that if you'll just invite Jesus into your heart, he will save you. Well, how convenient for me. Jesus, come on in. Now, I understand the sentiment behind that teaching. The sentiment behind that teaching is that, that Jesus is there to give salvation and we need to receive him. But the problem is, is that this teaching is combined with the idea that misses out. Like, because we don't teach on the depravity of man or the horrendousness of our sin or the need of repentance. And so it changes the, the meaning of what it means for people to think about Jesus being invited in their heart. You see, the picture that a lot of people have today in the church is, is this. Jesus helplessly standing outside the door, knocking on the door, meekly, you know, let me in. If you'll just let me in, I will help you. If you'll just let me in, I will make all your life better. If you'll just let me in, you won't ever have any more hurt feelings. If you just let me in, you can have all the material blessings that, that you want. And then you and your own sovereign power, 
you get to decide whether or not you're going to let him in. Well, Jesus, you know what? Come on in. You made a really compelling case that you love me. You made this really compelling case that, that, that you want what's best for me. Well, guess what? I want what's best for me too. So come on in, Jesus. I invite you into my heart. Church, that's not the gospel. The gospel is you're just like that demon. You have rebelled against the holy and righteous God who made you. You have sinned even before you even knew what sin was. You are a broken, helpless wretch, and you're totally depraved. And what that means is you're not a good person who sometimes makes mistakes. You are a broken person who's only capable of doing good things because the grace of God is restraining you from doing all the bad that you and your heart want to do. Now, it's only by the grace of God that you are restraining yourself to be as good as you are. The fact of the matter is you are a sinner and because you're a sinner, you are depraved and because of that, you like that demon face the judgment of God. That demon knew what that judgment meant. It meant destruction and that means being cast into hell because that's what rebels and sinners deserve. That's what, what you deserve. That's what I deserve. But then the good news, God came to the earth he became fully man, and he lived a perfect, righteous life, a life that you could never, ever, ever in all of your whole life live. And he voluntarily went to the cross, and he traded places with you. He took upon himself your rebellion and your sin. He became sin who knew no sin, so we might become the righteousness of God. He took upon himself, your sin on himself, and in return, he offers you the righteousness of God. And as he hung there on the cross, slowly suffocating to death, he experienced in his body the fullness of the wrath of God that you deserved, the, the, the wrath that was reserved for you personally. And suffering the wrath of God, he died the death that you deserved. And then three days later, he was resurrected as proof positive that your debt has been paid in full and that Jesus, God in the flesh, has the power of both sin and death and that he is the sovereign reigning king. And so let me, so hear me church on this. This is the most important parts. Jesus doesn't tap lightly on the door saying, please, please let me in. No, he's standing out in the street saying it is finished. The time is now. The kingdom is here. Repent and believe the gospel. That is what he's saying. And your response isn't to come on in, Jesus, into my heart. No, your, your response is to fall face down at the feet of Jesus and cry out, Lord, have mercy on me. Forgive me, Lord, for my iniquities. I repent of my sins. I turn away from my old life. I repent of my self-righteousness. I repent of trying to save myself. Save me, Lord Jesus. I repent and I believe the gospel. I take you at your, your word. I confess that I am what you say that I am, that I'm a broken sinner, and I confess that I desperately, desperately need you. And I believe that Jesus is exactly what he says, God in the flesh, and that he died for my sins, and he, and he gives to me the righteousness that I don't deserve. And I believe that he rose again three days later, and I believe that he is right now at the right hand of God, interceding for me. And I believe that he will come back and make all things right. I believe with all my heart that he is the sovereign king. I don't just ask Jesus to come into my heart. I beg you, Lord, to come and be the Lord of my life. Come into my life and have your way with me. I beg you, Lord, to come into my life and mold me and shape me into what you want. Remove from me what you will. Come into my life, Lord, and take over. Lead me to go where you want me to go. I repent and I believe the gospel. I am 
yours, Lord Jesus. Have your way in my life. That is the gospel. That is the difference between you and the demon. The demon knew Christ personally and theologically and was bound to obey him. But he was not saved because he was incapable of repenting and turning from his rebellion against God. Church, the thing is that you need to remember always, Jesus didn't come to change your behavior. He came to change your heart. And the exhibition of your changed heart is your repentance and your faith in the gospel.